Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks yeah. for thanks for having me. What a, a great setting, a beautiful view, and what a relaxed conversation it seems like we're going to have. Yeah, it, it'll be easy because, uh, I mean, I, I'm going to have to cut us off because I know you got a plane to catch today, but I could talk for hours about this. I think about our company's culture like almost 24-7. Um, and I know your book was uh, written based on your experience with your companies and uh, that you sold those, two of them, um, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, but the conversation around culture has never been more, more topical, more, more heated, more, um, more important than it is now. And your book is, uh, despite being written about your experience pre-COVID, it's incredibly relevant now because everybody wants to talk about it, including me and a lot of people listening. And also because like some of the core messages in your, in your book, um, worth doing wrong, they apply regardless of where people physically are. Like one of the main things that resonates with me is around the importance, which is like I just said, it's more important than ever. Uh, and also around the accountability, like mm -hmm. it lies with, um, I like, I like how you say that, you know, a cult, your, your team's culture is a reflection of leadership. It's too easy for, for leaders to, you know, blame their team uh, or blame so many things, right? We, we, as circumstance, we, as humans, um, sometimes we look at ourselves last in terms of, of what's happened. And I did for years. I, you know, you know, if I had a better team, if I had more money, if I, if I could charge more, if my industry, um, but, uh, culture reflects leadership and those are uncomfortable words for so many. Yeah. And I found that, that it, it, you know, people laugh it off or shrug it off and, you know, yeah, I get it. I get it. But no, do you, do you get it? Yeah. Do you get that the culture you have is because of what you've done to this point, what you've recognized, what you've rewarded, what you've tolerated, uh, how you've acted um, in, in your in your best and worst moments, where you park, uh, who you let go in front of you in line, who you hold the door open for, uh, how you treat the, the best of us and the worst of us. Like it's all of it is now your culture whether you like it or not. And, and that's the, that message some people like to hear and some people don't. It's, it's tough to hear. <laughs> you know, it's such a big, it's so important. It's such a big responsibility. Uh, and to know that it's, uh, in my case, that it's all on me and for any entrepreneur, founder, CEO, manager of a team to know that it, that responsibility lies squarely on your shoulders. And it's not, it's, huge. it's, it's not me saying, Oh, look at me. I'm perfect. I, I literally, like when I'm on long plane flights or have quiet space and I think about how I've behaved in my life, how I led my people over a 20 year period, uh, even in the last few years, if you interviewed 50 team members from, from my group and said, tell me something he already did that it was, was wrong, right. was not in character, was, was not something he'd be proud of. They'd have a litany of stories. Yeah. Right. Of things where, let me tell you about this. He said this, but he did that. Uh, and I, I think about him and I cringe. I cringe about the conversations I didn't have with great team members. Uh, and sometimes the ones that I did by, mis you know, I, I assume something rather than ask the question first. Yeah. And so, and so it's not about being perfect. It's about being aware of the fact that who you are creates the environment you're in. And that's, and then we start building. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what about, I mean, this just doesn't sound like this can be delegated. I know a lot of entrepreneurs are, are trying to, you know, get out of operations. Yeah. Um, but we, we use the EOS model and, 
and the visionary role, which is often the founder, um, you know, one of the core accountabilities that even is clear in that system that uh, the company culture still resides with them. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, when I think of, of, of who I wanted to be as an entrepreneur, all right, it's not the technician, which, which a lot of us are drawn to. We're drawn to be the, te- we're drawn to do something really well and then do it better and better. Yeah. But it's to not be the technician. It's to, it's to cheer for your technicians. It's to cheer for your people. It's to give them the resources they need to be successful. And, yeah. and part of that's a great culture. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think it flows naturally into the entrepreneurial journey. Um, but, but you entrepreneurs who are still technicians who are still wrapped up in the day to day, who haven't found their executive assistant, they can make their life better or their COO yeah. or, or director of operations in some cases they can make their life easier. Yeah. If they haven't found that path, they're still stressed. They have 17 weights around their shoulders, holding them down. And then you ask them to be a culture leader too. It's a lot. Yeah. It's, 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 it's when you most need culture is when you least have time to, to, you know, develop yeah, it. Exactly. And so it, a lot of times this message is for like, Hey, you got to clear some of these weights off your shoulders first, um, before you can have the mindset to do this, but never miss an opportunity to build your culture. Yeah. Um, and I kid about where you, where you park, uh, this pisses off uh, people all the time, but it's like, if your frontline is walking farther to your building than your, than your top line, you might want to think about that. What is that? You know, how do you flip that around and, and make sure that, that everyone's getting the right message? Yeah. So I, I talk about everything from there to, you know, how you walk in the door, uh, to how you treat, uh, what are the optics of, of how your what your lifestyle says to everyone else? Yeah. Yeah. It matters. And this idea that, you know, your culture, you know, what you just said about it, you know, it's when you're so busy that you think about it the least, you just don't have time for it, but that's when it's most important. It's like your culture is, is growing, it's happening, it's evolving, uh, whether you like it or not. So it's just a case of how engaged you're going to be. Yeah. In. You have it. You have a culture. Yeah. What, what is it? Yeah. And why is it so important nowadays? I mean, even well, nothing to do with COVID like, yeah, I think that, um, uh, everyone's looking for something, right. And, and, and I think there's, there's still a set of people that just say, Hey, you pay me enough. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But I think most people are looking for this, this, I'll call it balance of uh, enough money to live on, uh, an environment I can be successful an environment where I can help other people be successful. There's some combination of those three things. Everyone's going to have a different, you know, formula for it. Um, but the culture, culture for me helps so much with the two of those parts. Your, your, your compensation is your compensation. And we all have these unique ways. You know, this is your bonus. This is how we're going to share the profits. This is how you're going to make more, all these things, but how you become more successful as an individual, how you grow and how, how you help other people grow that feeling of I'm contributing. Those are the things that culture can control so much. Yeah. I love that part. Yeah. You know, it's not enough for me just to, to do this and, you know, make a living and give people jobs and all that. I really, I really get personally motivated by watching people grow. And, and I guess, you know, if I was to put it like in a encapsulated in a thought, it's that when they look back on their lives, that they're really happy about the time that we spent together and that that was a real positive influence in their life. That's right. Yeah. That, 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 that look back. Yeah. That, that you will there, there was, um, this is, um, probably unrelated. You might want to not even include this in the podcast, but I, there's a movie about Ray Kroc and the, and the founder of McDonald's. Yeah. And 
And I, I was um, stumbled upon that movie and watched that movie uh, and thought, what a success story and what a failure story. Like no in the same version, he, you know, he, he died very lonely without friends. Most of the people had a negative experience with him. You know, they thought of him poorly or they didn't, they didn't grow from that experience in the, in the way that I would want people to grow from experiences with me. Yeah. Uh, and at about the same time I stumbled across that movie, um, I had a dear friend who helped me get my start in Nashville and he passed away and I went to his funeral and there were 300 people in the room that all thought that he changed their lives. Like, I, I'm like, this guy changed my life. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the funeral and I'll, I'll be there with his family and a few people. Everyone was, this person had impacted them in such a way. And there's I, so many people there more with, than you expected. Not just people there to, to, cause they were supposed to be there who, who earnestly had been touched by this human being. Mm. Uh, right. And I was just, and, and so these two things within the same time frame. Ray Kroc or Ralph Brown, which is my friend's name. Like, who do I want to be? Yeah. What, 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 what do I want to happen at that point? Right. Do I, do I want people to go, oh, he was an asshole anyway. Yeah. Or do I want people to say he changed my life Yeah. in some way. Right. Maybe he was just kind to me one day. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe he, he introduced me to someone. Maybe he encouraged me to do something that those, that, that contradiction of financial success versus human success it was, was stark to me. Yeah. So did, I mean, was Ray Kroc too greedy, just, just too focused on business? Yeah. Too, 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 you know, too, uh, what I'll call it, um, uh, uh, there's abundant thinking and then the opposite of abundant thinking scarcity. is scarcity. Yeah. And Ray Kroc thought in scarcity, his win, he had to win. Someone else had to lose for him to win. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of really successful business leaders that we all look up to that are like that. You know, you, Steve Jobs was apparently kind of like that, just maniacal about, you know, the business and, and design and, and, and executing his vision. Uh, I doesn't seem like he had a lot of friends. I mean, obviously, I don't personally. Yeah. And, but. And, and maybe I'm being, you know, overly idealistic. We, we might need those people to make certain advances yeah. in human creativity, in uh, uh, advancement of whether it's science or art or better burgers, uh, you know, quarter pounders or whatever. Um and you know, without without the villain, you know, what good is the hero? Yeah. So I, I just pref I'd prefer to to be and help other people be heroes than villains. I want to be a hero. I yeah. mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Who wants? Yeah. yeah. Where's my Where's the cape, man? Yeah. I wanted there to be three hundred people at my uh, funeral. Yeah. Not that I'll know. It's almost kind of silly, right? It, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely won't know. It'd be nice for my kids. But if you have to choose. If you have to choose between a funeral with 300 who have a great story to tell yeah. and six people who just want to know what's in the will. Yeah. That's Ugh, <laughs> creepy. <laughs> oh, man, that would be terrible. Yeah. It's also easier to be the hero, you know, like accomplishing what Steve Jobs or Rick Rock did is, is, uh, I couldn't do it. You know, you, the, the discipline, the ability to, uh, be mean, you know, the, 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 the sort of like maniacal obsession with, with the result, um, you know, comes at a cost is so many other costs, you know, relationships, family relationships, friendships, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all the way back to, we, we walk in our own worlds every day. And, and for some of us, it's like, you know, a company of six, a company of 16, a company of 60, a company of 600. Yeah. We walk into our worlds and we have a chance to, to, um, be the leader that we know we can be. 
and it, and it's and I heard this great quote. Um, Jesse Cole is a is a is an entrepreneur out of uh, Savannah, Georgia. He runs this organization called the Savannah Bananas. They're 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 a baseball team modeled after Ringling Circus. Like they entertain. They're they're entertainers that happen to play baseball. And and he was quoting someone else when he said this. So I'm stealing it from him. He stole it from someone. Do for one that you want to do for many. Like start there. Like you, you say, well, I want to do so this. start small. Yeah. I want to do this for everyone, but yeah. I don't know how we'll do it for one person. Uh huh. Be kind to one person, you know, simplify your policy manual by one rule. Um, uh, uh, start recognize someone's uh, talent one at a time. Like yeah. it, 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 we, as we, as sometimes entrepreneurs says we want to go big or go home, just do one thing, man. Yeah. Do one thing and, and then start that habit, you know, Yeah. start running. So I, I, I really appreciated that. Yeah. And for, you know, leaders uh, who maybe want to start with one easy thing, I think your better book club's a good one. Well, I, you know, that's, I, I'm very passionate about um, the books I've read and the people I've met. Yeah. Those are my books up there. Right. That's that, that the only difference when you and I five years from now, or 90% of the difference, it will be the people we met and the books we've read. Yeah. Right. That, that, that's going to continue to change us as we go forward. Concepts, relationships, uh, you know, the, the way people look at you, the way you interact with people. And then the books you read, when I say books, you read, it's the stories you've heard, the podcast you've listened to, the documentaries you've watched, the, the influences on your life, the things that you absorb. Um, and, and, and when I think about the early books in my life that I read that changed the course of my life, I'm like, wow, that, that made a huge difference. And then you're faced with these facts that, that, no one reads and it, that's not true. Very few people read. And so it becomes the opportunity to give them the gift of reading, not, mm -hmm. not a book, not, I read this. So you, my last book is not your next book. Mm -hmm. The gift is start the habit of reading. And for some that's, you know, two books, four books a year. And for some it's, you know, two books a month, but that habit changes lives and better book club was what we did instead of, I read this book and you should too. Better Book Club was this concept we came up with that said, look, I'm going to recognize and reward you for reading. You choose the book. You choose how you want to read it. You choose the time period you want to read it in. But when you do it, I'm going to make sure I recognize that and reward you for it with, with the hope that it happens again. So you pay people to read. We pay people to read. That's the people get caught up in the pay and, 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 and the money side of it. But it's also the recognition you know, yeah. Cam, I love that you read that book, man. I bet you talk that, about it. I bet that really, I bet that really changed how you thought about that topic. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was great. Yeah. What that can do for your team over the long, long term, the, the level of conversations you're going to have. It, it just, it's just, it's just, and we also found that when we told people what to read, you know, a few did because they, they're going to, they're going to kind of play along the game. Most didn't. And a few kind of skimmed it and said they did. And, and then that created tension between the team members. Yeah. So, so there's this myth in business that the way book clubs work is that I read it and you read it and then we talk about it and that just doesn't work. It, it works very short term. Um, what we've built with better book club is this con this long-term concept that says, Hey, we're going to, we're going to pay you to read when you absorb books. We're going to encourage you to do it over and over. We're going to build this library so that we all know what each other's read. I'm going to know any books I have in common with you. And it, and it's all of a sudden it's a sustainable path as opposed to a one-time path. Yeah. And you've made that available to anybody now at betterbookclub.com. We have worked and worked at, at, at building a software that uh, takes into account, keeps it simple, but takes into account all the possibilities. Um, and I would just invite people to check it out. If you want your team to read, there is no 
better. I've never, I've not discovered any better way to get books in brains than through better book club. Yeah. I'm very interested. I mean, I, I haven't heard about it before, except from you, obviously I think it's uh, pretty new, but I think it's a great idea because you know, we as entrepreneurs and leaders of teams, we just want things to be easy. We know what you're saying. It resonates. I read, I learn a lot from what I read. Um, and I want that for other people. Um, but I, I probably look at my shelf of books over there. Yeah. I've read them all multiple times, but I bet I've loaned out five to my team that have just proactively asked Yeah, well, or I've suggested it and they have read it, but it's not a lot. My whole story is I had, I had this shelf of books at home and my wife said, look, I'm running out of room, take these to work. And I thought, that's great. I'll take them to work and my team will, they'll read them. Well, they, they don't. Yeah. Like it doesn't, people don't rush in and go, Oh my God. Yeah. I want to read your books. Right. And so, and and we also felt the more we ask them to, the worse it got. Yeah. So by just saying, look, we're, this is, it's a hundred bucks. Read, read good to great. Yeah. And I'll pay you a hundred bucks. You'll pay me a hundred bucks. Yeah. We'll just check it out. Yeah. And some are 25 if they're shorter, if, if they're short, like, like one minute manager. Right. Or, or I'm trying to think of some really good short, you know, books and it's all, you know, if they're short, we'll pay a little bit. E-myth. If they're, if they're yeah. long, they'll pay you a lot of bit. Yeah. Um, oh, it's my mind races. There's just so many books. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this is happening. Yeah. Uh, these guys are rolling their eyes, but it is going to absolutely happen in, in this company and, because and, I think it's awesome. And, and Cassidy may say, um, I don't have time to read. Well, then don't read. Like that's a, like, like when it's your time, read. Yeah. Right. Maybe you gotta, maybe in three months you'll have a, a drive you gotta make and you, you can take in a, an audible book. Right. And see how that feels. Like it's not, it's not go do that or I'm firing you. It's, this is available. This is yeah. available. Like, I mean, you look, I've walked around your office. You run a great shop. You offer people a lot of cool benefits. This is just another benefit. Mm-hmm. That's a win for them and a win for you. Yeah. Uh, that That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. There's so many, there are people learn in different ways too, right? Like some people are visual audio, you know, yeah. sometimes reading is hard for people. My son's dyslexic. Everyone's on some sort of you know, spectrum of learning differences and attention spans are shortening. And, um, you know, my process is what works for me is, uh, I listen to the book first, usually, you yeah. know, usually they're business books yeah. and usually they're recommended to me by a friend. Um, and I'll listen to it cause I can rip through it pretty fast, especially at 1.3 or 1.2 yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of speed. And, and then I, I love it or I don't. And when I do love it, um, like your book, then I buy uh, the actual hard copy book. Cause it's like, then I, then I know it's good. And I'm going to, I read slow. Yeah. Very slow. Um, I don't know why I just have like this sort of perfectionist attitude where if I, my mind wanders a lot and if I find my eyes moving down the page and I've kind of lost track of what I was reading, I go back and read it again. So I need to know the book's good first before I can invest that much time in it. Sometimes yeah. there's a highlighter and a pen involved and a lot of ideas coming out of it, but that's what works for me is, is listening first and then, and then reading the old school book after. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge listener too. I listen to 90% of the books that I absorb. And, and then I, when I really like a book, I will typically seek out them. If they are speakers somewhere, I want to go hear them talk about it and yeah. maybe have a conversation. It comes but in person, uh, in person, like you'll find, and, and, you know, EO gives that, uh, opportunity to a lot of us that are members because there's always events and speakers coming around and, and different chapters to go visit. And, yeah. But so then, then that, then it becomes more, even more real, right. Or you discover the flaws in the plan. Like where's, where can this go wrong? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I know I've read 274 books because in my better book club account, that's how many books I've tagged. Cool. Right. And somebody said, well, I've read 
843 or I've you know read 27 and, and I've read six. That's great. Now, now let's compare our profiles and we'll see how many books we have in common. Yeah. Right. And we can maybe talk about those. Or what just about know. fiction and, and other types of books? Are they in there too? I put my fiction books in because I, the ones that I think make a difference in my life, right. That make me think about things differently perspective, but, 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 you know, and everyone is free to do that. I'm not encouraging you as a, as a, as a leader to reward people for reading fiction, unless it fits who you are as a business. But I wouldn't restrict your people from putting those reads in there because then your team members can look at each other and go, Oh, I see you're into this sort of book too. I'm in, I'm into uh, sci-fi. Yeah. Right. And, or, and, and so then you cut other conversation points, other connectivity all the way back to, you said in a world where a full office is not a full office anymore, we need connection points between our team members. And so being able to look at your profile and say, Hey, we have 67 books in common, or I see that, that you're a fan of, of this type of genre or this author. It's just another connection point. Yeah. It's also a connection point for you, the leader with your team members, right? To be able to say, man, we don't read anything alike, but we're both huge readers. Like that's awesome. Right. Or I see you just read my favorite book. Give me some, tell me what you thought of that. Like either of those are conversations that you wouldn't, there's no way you would have had them before. Yeah. I love that you're advocating for reading because it's, it's sort of a dying like thing. It's uh, there's so many alternatives now. There's so much competition for reading in the old days. Um, you know, like my wife's an avid reader and she reads way more than I do. Um, because, you know, she was, she was like a quiet kind of a nerd when she was a little kid and, and she just like lost herself in these amazing stories and just, it was just amazing and loved it. Um, but back then, you know, TV kind of sucked. There was maybe a Disney movie on or whatever on yeah. Sunday night that was half decent, but it just isn't like it is today. Like with my 12 year old boy, it's, it's a battle. Seven year old girl too. She's a little bit, uh, a little bit more inclined, but it's an uphill battle. Well, it's also a time for us to be with ourselves. Like it's, you know, everything else, so many other things in our life involve, you know, our phones or interacting with other people or social media. And what are people, it's a time for us to, to just our brain to work in within ourselves. It's, I'm not going as far as saying it's meditation, but it's, it's sure not Twitter. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a way to think about things in a way we haven't thought about them before. That that's what, I don't think we read a book and go, that's the answer. I think we read a book or listen to a book or absorb information and it helps us think about a problem. Yeah. All right. It gives us ideas. My biggest, my biggest problem is when I'm reading ideas pop up and then I've all of a sudden I have to rewind my audible to say, Hey, wait, I, I've been thinking about this other idea for two minutes. I go back and, and reread it. Yeah. Um, I do that too. But I think that it's, it gives people a chance to, um, uh, get, be with themselves is yeah. another way to put it. Yeah. That sounds healthy. Cause it's so much easier just to be entertained, you know, especially after a stressful day, just to, just to lose yourself in uh, Netflix or. Oh yeah. The, or it's whatever. the, it's the, the, it's so easy to just, and it just plays the next one and it just plays the next one. And all of a sudden it's, you know, later Re than you thought. Reading's a habit too, right? Like once you get the hang of it. Yeah. And you, whether, you know, for some people it's that, that it's what they do on their commute, right? The easiest, it's the easiest thing is, Hey, if you've got a commute 30 minutes each way, that's a great time to absorb an hour's worth of audio. Yeah. I, I read a lot when I'm stretching before a workout, like I'm older now and I, it takes me a while to work up to a workout. So I'll use that 30 minutes to, to, to read. It's, it's, it's my time. Other, other every people would say, I go for a walk every morning. That's when I do it. Like, but finding that rhythm is, is the best way to, to, 
to get into that rhythm. But I want to I be clear. A book a quarter is world-class. Like, it's not that people need to read a book a day or a book a month. It's just the habit of, sometimes it's a chapter a, a, a week mm-hmm. is better than not. And so back to this habit that you talk about and yeah. find your time when yeah. it works for you. Because doing it when it doesn't, like if I read after nine o'clock, I'm going to sleep. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. Yeah, um, so you got to find what works for you. Yeah, and this is just one of the many, many things that you did. And so tell us, tell us where it all began with your passion for lawyers. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, we haven't talked about that. We, we yeah. yeah, my ad agency was was an ad agency that only handled personal injury lawyers to build their brand, to make them known and liked in their community. Yeah, um, so specific. Very specific, and 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 the the, the um, it all happened. I was a I was a sales guy at a TV station, and uh, had, had had found a way to be successful there. And when you're successful at a TV station, then you get the leads that come in. Uh, and I was selling the airtime, right? And and when the lead would come in for a lawyer, this was in this was in 1990. Uh, reputable agencies. And, and salespeople didn't want to handle lawyers. It was, that was, it was a weird thing. And so I would say, I'll take it. You know, I, I, I'm a new salesman. I'm looking for opportunity. And I started helping. And what I found is they had no idea what they were doing. What I found is that every lead I got for a lawyer, I'd go in and they didn't know what they were doing with their marketing. And they didn't know what they were doing with their business. They knew how to be lawyers, but they didn't understand this, this marketing business theme. And I was, I had like three accounts and I was working through other issues and trying to help them. Uh, trying to be a good consultant to them, yeah. and their capacity to pay was good, right? Because they make oh, a lot of money. They make a lot of money. Yeah, right? the value it, of they just one don't know how to. Client. They just the, the problem is if you at that time if you helped them grow, it messed them up. They didn't know how to. They didn't know how to scale, scale their business, and so I was with a, a, a one of our clients, Jay Marshall Hughes, uh, uh, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky lawyer back in the states, and I was in a meeting with him, and he and he, and, uh, and he he was he was with his team, leadership team, lawyers and stuff, and they were talking about everything but marketing. And I was young and a little bit restless. And I, and I looked at him, I said, Marshall, what am I, what am I doing here? Like this, we're not talking about marketing. And he said these words, he said, Arnie, the more you know about my business, the more you can help me with my marketing. And it's like a light bulb went off. And I'm like, I got to learn about the business. I, I, I can be so much more valuable in this role if I understand the business. And, and I think that would be, you can pick any industry. If you want to be helpful in it, you better know a lot about the industry. Right. Yeah. And so I started, I started learning about the industry. And then once about six months later, he introduced me to another lawyer in another, in North Carolina. Uh, and he says, Arnie's helped me. He can help you. And so, and then, and then those two introduced me to a lawyer in California. And, and when I had three lawyers and I had a inkling of understanding of their business, it started to take off that that's where the niche kind of grew from. And their needs are pretty similar. The businesses were very similar, I guess. The, yeah. The, these are personal injury shops. They're, they're there. People go, you know, you know, ripping their hair out right now going personal injury lawyers. They are there for folks for, that don't have anywhere else to turn. Right. And so we can, we can say, Oh, they're sleazy and they're sharks and they're after the money. But for folks that need a personal injury lawyer, who, who no one else is helping and who they, who think who can't afford to fight back. They're the only chance they got. Yeah. Cause they work on commission. They work, they work purely on, on a contingency fee. Um, and so 
if they take your case, it's because they believe they can win your case. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't, but they're, they're literally helping make products safer. They're, they're making sure that people responsible for accidents pay the, that their insurance company pays the price for it. They're making sure that, um, that everyone's representative. So that's a tangent. I can argue all day for the ones that do it right, but to do it right and to do any business right, you better be able to, you can't say this, you can't say, turn off my marketing because I'm the business is out of hand. And so we started helping them scale their business. How? We started helping the, the books we read and the people we met, right? When it, it's the same as scaling any business. Uh, you just got to think before you do. Like Vern Harner stuff? Yeah, Vern Harner stuff or EOS, you know, whether it's scaling up or EOS, some sort of operating system that allows them to communicate the vision, to measure the results, uh, and to um, uh, repeat, right? To, to, to repeat that process. Um, the, the number one thing I would tell most of our lawyers is you can't practice law and run your law firm. Like it's too, you, you, it's like we talked about earlier, you're stressed about being a technician and then you're having to lead your people. You, you got to put, you got to put the law in the hands of people who focus on that. And I want you to focus on building your law firm. Yeah. So we're, we're, I'm tangenting off a little bit, but that's, that's how this whole thing started is, is me caring about their business enough to help them build their business. And then, and it was such a niche that, you know, one lawyer told another, those two told a third, those three told a fourth. All of a sudden we had like 12 legal clients in, in 12 different markets across the U S. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we just kept learning. Amazing. It's, it's a lesson in, in the benefits of specializing versus being a generalist, all things to all people. It, and it's tough because people would come and say, Hey, I need help with this. I need, you gotta, we had to say, no, we, we, we just couldn't, we didn't have the capacity, um, to do things that we didn't have high knowledge in. What an exciting offering to your clients. Like, okay, you've hired us now. We're going to grow your business. And that's really exciting for them to hear, right? Because that's yeah. why they're hiring you. And at the same time, we're going to help you grow your business so that you don't try to ask us to throttle back. We don't want to. We want to go, go, go. We, we, you grow, we grow. Yeah. Right. And then and then the other, like, we didn't even realize this was happening, but the, the first businesses would help teach the younger businesses how to grow because none of our guys competed. I had, I had a guy in California, I had a guy in North Carolina, I had a guy in Boston, I had a guy in Houston, I had a guy in Minneapolis, and and they were all looking for to, to for the next thing, and they started helping each other, and it and so the community helped grow the community. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, nice for them. They don't compete. They're geographic specialists, right? Yeah. It, it, what's odd is that we had to some of them grow grew so much they grew into each other's markets. And then we had to say, look, it's a world of abundance, man. I can make both of you successful here. And they fought that and fought that and fought that. And then finally they started accepting it, that you're, you're right. That we, like they had a mindset of scarcity uh, when, whenever they thought something would impact them. And we had to, we had to get them over that hump. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I mean, they would naturally resist that, but the reality is there's going to be two big shots and maybe every market, not just one. Uh, uh, McDonald's needs Burger King, man. Yeah. Uh, they're right across from each other. So this journey, like for your culture obsession, did it start because you had to get people excited about their work, you know, because they, you know, you had to get them talked into the vision of helping these guys. Yeah. Right? So yeah, we, we've, we've spun around a lot. So I, I literally would interview you know, an incredibly talented graphic designer or copywriter or editor. And, you know, they, they just wanted a job that this was, you know, when, when the economy was a little different and I'd say, man, uh, we, you know, we're an ad agency, we could use your talents. Uh, and they'd say, tell me what you do. And I'm like, well, we, we do ads and marketing for personal injury lawyers. He goes, they'd be like, what? 
And I'm like, yeah, man, like, you know, we're in different markets and we did this stuff. And he goes, I, I don't want that on my resume, man. <laughs> and I'm like, well, now you understand. Like we're, come That's on. Awesome. It's a good, I'm going to pay you, man. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, just it wasn't going to work. And I took that literal comment and said, I want to look good on people's resume. I want, if you've worked at CJ, I want you to be able to get a job anywhere. It's as if you, if you, as if you've worked at Neiman Marcus, then you can go work in retail anywhere. Right. Or, 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 uh, what's the, uh, the best hotel or the best, whatever, like you yeah, work four seasons, four seasons. If you've worked at four seasons, you can go work anywhere. Yeah. And I, I, I would tell people I'm, I'm going to, that's our goal. That's our BHAG for is I want people to say, I, I worked for CJ, man. Right. And so what does that mean? That means that, uh, it's a culture of growth an environment of empowerment, uh, a, 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 pure, a curiosity in, in, uh, what's possible. Like, that's what I wanted for our people. Um, and that's what we, and it took us, it took us years to achieve it, but that's what we wanted is we wanted to look good on people's resume. Uh, and I, and I think I, the other words I would say is you, you may come work for us for six months or six years, but you will leave here a better person, uh, in your skill set and in your, in your human capacity than you came. That's my promise to you. And if you ever think that this is not the place, I will use every ounce of contacts I have, every, every power I have to help you find another opportunity. And so just being able to say that to people helped win people over. And then the things we did in our culture, you know, constant recognition, constant, uh, uh, uh um, encouragement of growth, um, uh, recognizing their kids and their dogs, uh, making an environment that was better than home. Those are the things I wanted folks to go talk about with their friends. So when their friends say, you, you work for that agency that does personal injury and they go, like, well, yeah, but let me tell you how great it is. That's what I wanted. And it must help recruiting. I mean, Recru rec recruiting and retention, yeah. right? We, and people say, well, how'd you measure the success of all these things you did? which we haven't talked about, but there's, you know, if you look me up, you'll find a list of things that are, are a brand of crazy. And the success was measured in tenure and turnover, low turnover, high tenure means we know more about our niche than the average bear. And that's how, and then that led to the, the next KPI's bottom line. How much, what, what are our revenues? How can, what's our margins? We, we were able to charge more publicly tell our clients we're charging you more than average because we know more than average. Uh, we had a call center. We, we were 24 seven call center for 300 law firms across the, uh, all of North America. We had 125 team members working 24 seven, three, Christmas, you know, new year's day, middle of the night, everything. Uh, and we charged more per call than anyone in the industry. And we were able to, we were able to do that because our tenure and our, was the highest of anyone in the industry. And that, that, that tenure came through is knowledge and compassion on the phone, which made us do a better job of answering the phone calls, which got us paid more. And so it just, it's, it works out. I, th I think I can apply this to almost any industry. Totally. Right. Why, why are uh, y'all have Chick-fil-A here? Not really. No, no, it's uh, hard. <laughs> is there one in Toronto? I don't think there's one here. One. Uh, they, they, they're just, they're just, they're just, I believe that happy encourage team members make for better business. What does Chick-fil-A have to do with it? Well, sorry, you walk into Chick-fil-A, you're, you're just treated well. Uh. It's our pleasure to serve you. Let me help you with that. Let me bring you this. Let me, it's, it's the opposite of that. And I want to disparage, you know, another fast food place that, that is the opposite. Yeah. The opposite of that. And so, 
And so they can Southwestern's charge. Southwestern's like that. Southwest Airlines. Yeah, Southwest. Is, is a, uh, you know, you're, they, you feel welcomed on their planes, not as, uh, not as a uh, intruder. Um, and with, 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 um, uh, people are willing to pay more for that. People pay more for a chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A than they do at, at another place. And so your margins go up. Tenure. What a great measure of success. I mean, talk about being aligned. Like everybody wants that. The, the employer certainly wants it. The employees definitely want it. They, they don't want to keep changing jobs. They want to stay because they want to stay. And that's measuring how long they do stay. Yeah. And clients or customers want that too. They, they, what, in your own experience, like when someone, I'm your new rep, I'm your new person. Like, yeah. Oh, start, start over again, man. Oh yeah. I was, I, you remind me of, uh, of a, a low, a significant loan I got from a bank and I had five different account managers in less than three years. And it was just, it became a joke. Yeah. No, no one, no. One. And, and I, you don't get zero. You can be the best boss in the world. It's things are going to happen. But, but we would, we would measure it. We, we measured and put everything on the wall and the tenure of our team and we put it on the wall and we showed off it to everyone. And it's one of those cycle things that the more people think that everyone's staying, the more people stay. Yeah. Right. You have systems that, that, that deal with that, right? You gotta, you're going to end up paying people more because they're going to, they're going to, their salaries are going to, and their hourly wages are going to move up. Right. And that's, that's okay. Cause that's cheaper than turnover. Yeah. That's the, that's the trade-off. And that's cheap. I mean, that's one of the terrifying things about your book and it is terrifying. And anyone, anyone who says it isn't is just full of shit, frankly, because, uh, you, you've done, you did so many different things to elevate the culture of your team. And, uh, and it was ultimately very successful, your business, and you ultimately sold it two of them. Um, and you're doing more than almost, I remember the Zappos book that I, yeah, yeah, that was a big thing so many years ago, right? Yes. It had a big impact on me too. Um, but one of the challenges entrepreneurs have, you know, my role in on the board is uh, called legacy chair. So it's about teaching, showing entrepreneurs um, a path to philanthropy, uh, to doing good. And the, the challenge entrepreneurs have is they're fighters. You know, they've been in a struggle. You know, they've been they've been going against all odds, not taking no for an answer. They've they've they're on this sort of perpetual path to success and they never really feel like they've made it. And at some point along the way, they've they've thought about doing charitable things, thought about doing good in their communities, and they may be done a little bit, but they always have this feeling of like, I'll, I'll do more later when I'm ready soon, you know, and and in the context of what you're talking about, you know, it's the same kind of a thing, like all the things that you do, they all they all cost money. And people might think, well, I don't know if I can afford that. I don't know if we're ready yet. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. To try to go after that, that comment a little bit. Um, again, it's one thing at a time. Um, every cultural program that we had, and there's a long list. If you in, in, in the like second chapter of the book, I list everything. Like list bomb, 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 bomb. Everything we did had a champion who was not me, who was not anyone on leadership. It was someone from within the organization that said, "I'm going to handle this," and and no one had more than like one or two things that they handled. Like like we 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 have all these programs, and we try to put them all on one person, and then they can't even do their job. And so every program had a champion, that champion had a checklist, things that they knew made that program work. And that champion had KPIs that measured something about that program. And those KPIs were always publicly posted, right? So that everyone could see the success of that program. And, and so that's what gave it life as opposed to, uh, you come back, you read a book, you come to, you go to a conference, you hear a speaker, you come back, you assigned 
HR to do this thing that you want to do in your company. And then three years later, no one knows what happens to it. And so it, a, a lot of the stuff we did in the, in my list don't cost anything. It just takes someone a couple hours a month to manage. Uh, and, and, and if, and of course, if we gave 18 things to one person, that's way too much. But if we give 18 things to 18 different people, it's no big deal. Let's talk about the culture survey. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's a very good measure of kind of how you're doing. And you took it, um, like an NPS type of question, which sounded something like, um, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to refer a friend to work here? Or in your case, was it more? Yeah, we did. We, that's, that's the, that is the NPS question, right? But we can't, we were a either ahead of NPS or I wasn't aware of NPS at the time when we implemented it. And our question was with 10 being the best place you can imagine working and one being the worst, where do we rate right now? And why? And, and if you rate four or less, which is a pretty low score, tell us why. Now we also encourage you can, you can leave a comment for any score, which we got a lot of, but, um, but you have to leave a comment. You have to leave a comment. If it's four or less, it's optional. If it's not, I see. And it was anonymous. It was anonymous. Uh, and, and you, could, did you have a leader, uh, a member of your leadership team doing that? Or was no, it again, a, a champion, a, a, a champion, a team member, uh, Renee was the, uh, the most long tenured team member that did that. And she was just a natural at collecting the data not getting rattled by it. Um, uh, if you do morale surveys this is for any entrepreneur out there, uh, and you read the comments alone, you will, you will, it'll make you very angry. It'll ruin your weekend. It'll ruin your day and your week and your, maybe your month. And so do not read the comments alone. Have someone compile those, go into a room with your leadership team and a few people from your front line. And I'll explain why you need those later and read them together because you will, you will absorb it differently than if you read them alone. No doubt. Um, But anyway, we, uh, we would ask, we ask our team for like eight years running every month, that question. And we got that score and then we published that score to our entire team and we published all the comments and a response to every comment to the entire team every month. It was our way of taking the water cooler conversation, both for good things and bad things helping it happening in our organization and letting everyone experience it and, and address the things we could ask more questions about the things we didn't understand but expose it as opposed to letting it fester. Would the person who administrated the survey, the, your champion, yeah. would they know who all the respondents were and what their comments were? No. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, I can't prove. You can. It's hard to prove anonymity. Like, it's like disproving something that you can't instead of proving it. But the, the, way you, you, the way you deal with it as an entrepreneur is you don't witch hunt. That we, and we, 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 we found ourselves sometimes wanting to witch hunt. Who said that? No was that Bob? Do you think that was Bob? And someone at the table has to go, that's not what we're here for, right? And so if you witch hunt your comments, you will not get comments. If you respond to the comments, then you will get more comments. And, and by the way, the response isn't, you're an idiot. The response is, <laughs> the response you tried is, that, didn't work. Yeah, the response is, we we did not communicate that as well as we should have, right? We uh, didn't ask your opinion before we implemented it. We didn't think about your perspective before we did it. Now those are those are when you realize that sometimes it's tell us more, like like find someone on the team to communicate this to so we can address it because we don't quite understand. And that that's when I said we we had to bring in first it was just the executive team that reviewed these comments with Renee. 
but we found that we had to bring in frontline people because sometimes we didn't understand the comments. But your frontline people come in and they go, oh, here's what they mean. They know, right? And so then you can address it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that is just sitting out there that the conversation's happening. It, you just don't know about it and you can't address it. And so it was our way to hold ourselves accountable to what our team was thinking and how we could address it and how we could make work better. Not, not perfect, but better. And you published it on your website too? Yeah, we would, we would, we would email everyone, every comment and every response. And then we'd publish that on our, on our website just to, just so no one thought, well, I'm going to forward this to someone or I'm going to hold them over. Because we didn't, we censored nothing, right? And so we just published it and said, let's get that out of the way. That's crazy. Yeah. Did it feel crazy? I mean, what, it, did you have any trepidation the first yeah, time you did it? Yeah. And then you tell people you're doing it and then, you know, someone will say, well, I, I couldn't do that. I'd know what they'd say. And I'm like, well, you're in more trouble than me, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're so afraid of what they're going to say, yeah. that you, you can't commit to publishing it. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, if you're running an organization, a team of any size and, and you're scared of what people would say, like that's like you need trauma one. It's even entertaining that idea of doing it is already un- unpacking like what the core issue is, right? There's obviously a core issue in that example. Yeah, and, go, and, and let's go all the way back to uh, your, your team. We think we're doing these 10 things for our team to make their life better. But, but when we ask them in a way that allows them to tell us the truth, we might, got, the feedback we're going to get is going to be different. I wonder if you're doing a lot of things that, you think people should like, they don't give a shit about it. Well, that's, that's the accountability part, right? That's, that's when they can tell you that's their chance to say. And for instance, we, we were building a new office. We we were, we were in a building, we were building a new office place across the way. Um, and we were investing all this money in the new building and some things came up and, and we either, we either, I can't remember, we cut back on something, whether it was, you know, bonuses or, or, uh, reimbursement, we cut back on something and, and we'd publicly said, Hey, it's, it's cause we're investing in this building, which is for you guys. You guys are going to get a brand new yeah. building. And, and the response, and one of the responses on the surveys was, Hey, Hey man, I, I love that you're building a new building. Uh, and I, I'm excited about moving over there, but I'm going to move from my cube here to my cube there. And for me, it's going to be the same. Yeah. So <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not buying this because we're building a new building. And that was, that was like real man. Yeah. And so we said, you know what? You're right. You're, you're right. We're, this is, I got to find a way to give you what you need to be successful and build my building. It's not one or the other. Yeah. It's so much. There's so many things I know in your camel culture, you have that image of, uh, in, the, in your book, the yeah. list of everything that you do, it all costs money. Um, how did you know, again, you, you've talked already about baby stepping it, right? Yeah. But how did you, it's, it's so much, it adds up to so much. Let's talk about how it's actually cheaper in the long run or how you get your head around all the spending. Well, well, let me, let me address this. The, the number, if you, if you, uh, uh, did a graph of the money we spent on our programs, the vast majority, 80% of the money was to grow our people like that. It was an investment, not a cost. Like, yeah, did we, did we do some, we had, you know, fresh fruit in the office. Okay. Was that grow our people? What makes them healthier? Right. But okay. So that, that caught, we had to bring in bananas, right? It's amazing how many bananas we eat, uh, but we had to bring them in. Um, and, and we had, um, the best toilet paper, like, and we kept, and we had, we had our janitorial crew come, uh, twice a day, not just once a day because, because of, we wanted the cleanest bathrooms in the business. We want want everything spotless. Right. Um, so yeah, we spent some money on that, but we really spent money on making, letting people go and, and learn wherever they wanted to go learn. 
we, we spent money paying people to read. That's an, invest, an investment that made them better, that made us better. And I'd much rather invest in my current team than take the money and, and pay recruiters to bring in new team. So I, I think we save money. Yeah. Like what, what's your, what's your recruitment budget? What, how much money are you losing on, on turnover? What are you, what are you paying for now that you could stop paying for if you just treated your team better and gave them the chance to grow? So I, I, I don't, I don't buy this. It costs too much. I think it costs too much not to do it. You know, I don't think a lot of people understand the cost of turnover. That one thing yeah, it, yeah. is massive. I mean, as a portion or a percentage of, of a salary of maybe that role, it's a huge percentage and that's a lot of money. We forget to count the client dissatisfaction. We forget to count the, the time we spent orienting a person to our work, our work environment. We forget to count all the stuff we lose that no one ever captured from this person when they left their, their job. Like who else knows how to adjust the knobs to the, to the equipment that we need. How long is it going to take to give it? Like we don't count all that stuff and just the knowledge, the empathy, the, the language we speak, like we don't, we don't. So tenure, we, we just kept building tenure. I think about my biggest mistakes and, and bad hires are at the top of that list oh, for me. Man. I mean, it's, it's not just the financial cost, but the mental, emotional and all the other things that you, that you talk about. It's just a nightmare. Yeah. No, no one gets hiring perfect. Uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's a 50, 50 play, man. You, you, you do, you'd use, you, it's like going to the casino. If you can get a 4% advantage by using a good system, you take it. Yeah, totally. You, you take it because that's as good as it's going to get. Any results over the long term with that advantage are going to be good. Uh, and so you, you, um, what we practice, well, same with me, my biggest mistakes were, were hiring and then tolerating reinforcing that bad decision with, you know, a lack of action. Maybe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, it, it's so costly. I like how you offer to pay people to quit after 60 days. Well, the, you, we want to take every chance we can to make sure that we've made a good choice and they've made a good choice. Um, and, and it's not just, um, it sounds good by the way. It's a good, like a lot of my stuff is headlining. We pay people to read. We pay people to leave after 60 days. If they're not happy, we, um, uh, we, we, we send birthday cards, gift cards to their kids, right. To, to create good conversations at home. These are nice headline things, but the truth about when we, when we bring in someone at their 60 day review and they turn in their 60 day orientation checklist, which they complete, they go learn everything we want them to learn in the first 60 days from the, from the people in the organization who can best teach it. Not, not from HR. I love HR but they're not the experts on everything. So they bring back that 60 day worksheet. We talk about, we re, we reintroduce, we, we re-talk about our core values and our KPIs and our BHAG and why we do the things we do. And then we make an offer. We say, Hey, now that you've gotten a chance to orient your, orient yourself to us and learn who we are and, and how crazy we are about our culture and how crazy we are about our niche. If this isn't for you, I want this to be the opportunity to say, look, I will pay you two weeks salary to leave now and I will do everything in my power to help you get another job. And I do this personally with, with the size team we had, I can, I can make that happen. And I never did it. And someone said, I'm leaving. Right. But, and, and they would say, no, no, I'm staying. I'm saying, well, don't, don't tell me now. So no one ever took you up on it. No one ever took me up on it. Uh, they knew they would, we had people leave before the 60 days, but no one ever made it to 60 and say, and say, I, I want out. And I'd say, well, don't tell me now, go, go talk to the people you love and come back tomorrow. And the psychological 
recommitment to the job at that point, I think was really important. You talk about that a lot in your book about the psychological commitment, even that what you're talking about, it's like it's putting their initials on a page or something. There's literally a a physical motion associated with that. Yes. Go away, come back, sign here. Yeah. Initial here. Yeah. Um, And, and we're, we're affirmed by the way, I'll, I'll side hustle here. We're affirmed that never used con. We, we, I was in business 24 years and I never had a contract with my client. It was always a handshake. Um, it, you know, proverbial handshake kind of thing. And so I don't mean that I had people sign stuff as like it was legally binding. I just wanted the act of them saying I'm committed here, right. Or I've done this task yeah. or I'm responsible for this. Uh, not, not so I could go yell at someone just so I know who to go to. Yeah. But yeah, this, and then I recently read an article that, that some of the biggest, best companies, the people doing it right today, they're offering people more and more money at the, like the two year mark, the five year mark the eight year mark to leave uh, so that the, the, the same thing, get that commitment re that sort of a renewal of vows, if you will, to stay. Wow. So it was powerful for us. There's so much meat on this bone. There's so many things that you can do, right? Yeah. And start small, I guess is, is sound advice. You know, um, I want to just talk a little bit about the 60 day checklist. Sure. If, if ever you've, you've, if you're running any size company and you're talking to one of your team members and they say, Oh, I didn't know that. Like, go start your 60-day checklist and put, make that the first thing on your checklist. Like, go talk to Sally about this. She's the champion. She's the champion of this program. She knows the most about this thing. She, she, she This is her thing, right? And so go, go then hear someone else say, I didn't know about that. Go talk to Billy about that program. So then what we want to end up with is when you hire someone, if they don't sit in a room for a day and learn everything about your company, they're handed a checklist to go talk to 12 different people over their first 60 days to really learn about those programs. Like now they're and, and, and they have the person initial it that they learned it. And so now they, they've, they've, they've walked around the block a few times, right? They're not, they weren't just handed a, a basket full of stuff and say, learn this. They, they become, they go from being freshmen to sophomores over that 60 days, yeah. right? Now they know their way around. And, and that alleviated so many misunderstandings for us in terms of, well, Billy told me it was blue. And then, and then I, so I just thought it was blue. Well, Billy's not, Billy, Billy's not the guy you need to be talking to Sherry about that. And that's how we, that's how we fix that. So, so build your 60, build your checklist for new hires. Um, simplify your don't, you know, simplify your rules and turn them into guidelines. We don't need rules for the few who break them. We need guidelines for the many who follow them. And so we we tend to cram everything into orientation. We tend to have way more rules for things that go wrong as opposed to guidelines that go right. And and then we tend to ignore our people where they're where when they're thirstiest for growth and contribution. And those the, those are the things I think the book talks about is how to how to how to make a process, how to create process around those items. And that's helpful stuff because it's just got to be easy, you know, that you figured out so much of that stuff is so helpful, but also there's, there's, there's color and, and personality you even named your culture. Yeah. I, I believe every culture needs a, needs a name, man. And if possible, a mascot. Yeah. Right. We, we need to, we need to be able to cheer for our culture. We need to be able to wear our culture gear, uh, a key hat, right? That's, that's culture gear, right? I went to the, I went to the hockey game last night. Uh, I wore my Preds hat. Uh, and everyone else had, uh, you know, the Canucks, you know, you know, stuff on and cause we're cheering for our team. Yeah. Well, culture is your team. That's who you are. And so I want to, I want to be able to name it. Ours was camel culture. 
We had the camel was our mascot. Uh, we did everything from dress up like camels to call things camel stuff, right? And yeah. have camel themes. And yeah. And we just had fun with it. You yeah. know, we had we have we have camels serving champagne and strawberries on Valentine's Day. We had yeah. camels delivering uh flowers on administrative day. We 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 would we would go support children's uh uh, uh charity in, in our camel costumes. It was who we were. Yeah. And it's so good because I know the backstory of that name yeah. and 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 how uh it actually is so representative of how you've been so successful in this area because, you know, succeeding at culture, at, de at developing a world-class culture and getting high performance out of your team through it um, and great results for all the members of it. It's about attitude and a, and a commitment. It's about like it's the tortoise in the air and how the tortoise is going to win over the long term. And one of our company values is Kaizen, which is small incremental improvements again over the long term and what you can be accomplished with even just 1% improvement per day or whatever. But in your case, it started um, with what would probably be a negative experience in most people's minds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it uh, yes. Do you mean to tell that story? Yeah, if you don't mind. Uh, so, uh, uh, where do I start? It's uh, well, you were in Tennessee. Yeah, I, I grew up in Arkansas. Yeah. Um, but I and so I'm I'm by, I was raised a redneck. Is yeah. the best way to put it. <laughs> um, Arkansas, USA, Arkansas. Um, and, uh, but I'm, um, hundred percent Lebanese. My, both of my parents met at a Lebanese convention in Mississippi. They're a hundred, they're each hundred percent Lebanese. Their parents migrated over in the early 1910s. And so I'm a, I'm a sort of Brown person. I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't know what, I don't know for judging people or putting people on a lineup, but I'm, I'm not a white guy and I'm not a, I'm not a, a dark skinned guy. I'm kind of a light Brown person. Uh, and in my hometown, which was segregated at the time, uh, I was sort of in the middle of, of all the students on the, on my, on the, that were white and all the students that were black, uh, but I was the only one. Uh, and then I went to Ole Miss, uh, which is a not terribly progressive school in the States. Um, and on my first few days there, I was, I'd met up with some, some new friends and a very angry person came up next to us and yelled at it, yelled out at me, Hey, camel jockey go home. They, they saw me as an, as an Arab and, and told me to go home. And I looked at my friends and I said, Hey, who's he talking to? Like, I, I wasn't even really aware of what the situation was. And they just laughed and laughed and laughed. And they said, man, he's, he's talking to you, you camel jockey. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not a camel jockey. I'm a redneck like you guys, right? They were from Texas. They were as redneck as me. Uh, and then I became their camel jockey friend from Arkansas for like the next four years. That's how they, that's how they, it was just a friendly thing, right? Four years away university. Yeah. Yeah. And so after, after, after university, they moved back to Texas. I moved to Nashville and, and was it friendly though? Or did you secretly want to like kill them in their No, it, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't bother me at all, man. Really? It didn't, it never, it never, it never, it, it just didn't, it, I, it just didn't make fun. It, I didn't think much about it. Uh, cause they were friends. They spoke, they, they spoke to me as friends, right? Same words, different uh, intention. So they did find humor in it because it was such a silly thing for that guy to say it, it, that it, angry guy. It's ridiculous. Right. Uh, I, it's, and the other funny part is about, there are no camels in Lebanon. <laughs> there are no camels. Like, like we make assumptions about ignorant. Uh, yeah. Angry guy. Yeah. Just, there's no, so, it, but, um, so I went to Nashville and when I was working at the TV station, when I told you about Jay Marshall Hughes and helping him, I started a little business on the side that eventually got me fired by the way. But I, at the time, I didn't want anybody to know I had a business on the side. And so I called it CJ Advertising. 
uh, and the CJ stood for camel jockey because yeah. I just thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, so I, after I got fired, uh, we had business cards, we had an account, you know, we had a little logo and so we just went with it. And then, and, you know, like four or five years later, we actually had a team and we were kind of an up and running business. Uh, and not everyone knew the story, but if you, if you were hired on, or if you became a client or if you're in some way a part of our success, then we would tell you the story of why it's called CJ advertising. And, and so, uh, the camel became our mascot and we just started designing around that. And, and, you know, some people say, Oh, you took a negative and made it a positive. I, I, I maybe, but it's a story unique to us. Right. You know, else it does it, it like the 60 day checklist and the bio option. Um, you're getting their commitment with that story. Cause when they, when that story is told broadly on your team or to a prospective hire, right. I mean, for somebody who was ever bullied or ever had some, like a real something mean said to them by, by some asshole. Yeah. Um, you know, that, if that resonates with them, I literally get tingles, you know, up my, up my scalp as I talk about this with you. But if that resonates with them, they're going to, they're going to like buy into that spark that'll grow into a flame. That's like, no, yeah, I, I get that story that yeah. happened to me once. I'm in. And it, it lined up for us with the fact that ultimately our job was to help lawyers reach the people that needed the most help. Right. We, we, our target where, where we serve lawyers, our real target was helping them reach their target and their target was some of the most, like, if you think about Aaron Brockovich, are you familiar with the movie Aaron Brockovich? No one was going to help those people. Yeah. No one was going to help those people. Right. And that's that those people in that movie are the target of our marketing. And, and so they're the underdog. I have an underdog story. Everyone relate. That's how, that's how it all played through for us. It all related. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates. What is the Aaron Brockovich of real estate developers? Do we have, is there a movie about the, uh, the real estate developer yeah. that saved the world? I can't think of it. I bet there, I bet there, I bet there's, uh, you know, I think of, uh, it's not real estate, but pretty woman, uh, Richard Gere, right. Went from being this evil, uh, uh, person who tore apart companies and sold off their parts. And then she touched his, his heart and he became the person that saved companies. Yeah. Right. The turnaround guy, as opposed to the breakup guy. I mean, maybe there's something there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's right on point that Aaron Brockovich thing with what you were doing, but in our, in our world of what we spend our days doing, um, we work for developers that are, you know, doing their best to solve a lack of supply of, of housing. You know, yeah. it's a lack of supply that drives up the price because demand is what it is. And, uh, and they're just trying to get this stuff to market. And we end up talking about that a lot with, with, uh, real estate developers on the show. Uh, there's, there's plenty of, um, I bet there's something out there that, that will resonate. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. So when you're doing all this stuff for your team, did it ever feel silly? Like, did you ever like feel dressed up in a costume or, uh, uh, I mean, you told me about a time when you, um, Christmas in July, you yeah. put on a Santa outfit and stuff. I, I, I'll, I'll use this saying, uh, if, if your team's not making fun of you for something, you're not doing enough, right? My team made fun of me all the time they, they if they're not if they're not repeating things that you've said over and over you're not saying it enough like like if you're not hearing though we know we know yeah you know, they can't mimic you yeah if they're not mimicking you if they're not making fun if it i just don't think you're doing enough yeah right that it's you you're everyone's got a different personality but i took that as a compliment that they heard me i don't think they've heard if, if they're not repeating it then they didn't hear me yeah 
So I, I, yes, absolutely. And, and have I, you know, does that also embarrass my kids and sometimes my, the rest of my family? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's just part of the deal, you know? Yeah. Mission accomplished. We talk about leadership, how, um, how important repetition is about how people need to hear something seven times. We say to, to know what yeah. is real. That's well, right. it's not just, it's not just the th- words you say, it's what backs it up. Like, like when, you know, we'd have, um, um, we had our daily huddle. And at the end of every huddle, we would rock someone. We would, we would say, you know, man, Bobby just knocked it out of the park on that new design, you know, and, and Sally killed it in this. And then we'd say, Hey, Bobby rocks on three, one, two, three, Bobby rocks. Right. Because, because, because that reinforces him and his confidence, which is one of our core values is confidence. And so it plays through that we're, we're, we're laying our, our, this theme of repetition over and over again. Right. That, so that, that when I say repeated, it's not just the words, it's the action. How do you recognize your people? Uh, what's the rhythm of your meetings and your recognition? How do you make sure that, that Bobby's not getting recognized every meeting and Sally's never getting recognized? There's systems for that. There's a champion that controlled that for us that said, here's, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make sure we keep up with how many accolades we give to every team member so that we can coach up those that aren't getting the accolades and that we can make sure we're not over you know, you know, not making Bobby the bad guy by giving him so many accolades that everyone hates him now. Yeah. Nobody wants that. <laughs> so it's a, but that's a system, right? And when you, when you're 18 people that you don't need a system, you can pretty much do it. When you're 225 people, you need a system to help manage that. You need a system to determine who's read what and who you're rewarding for reading books. You need a system for making sure that everyone's kid, everyone's kid gets a birthday card with a, with a gift card in it, that someone's not getting two and you're not skip, skipping the third kid. You need a system to make sure that that when you're hired, you get a stack of thank you notes, right? And that you're handed those notes and told that it's your job to, to give away uh, this stack of 25 notes over the next 60 days to people who've helped you along your way. You need a system for every one of these things. And that's ultimately what camel culture was. It wasn't me doing it. I didn't do any of these things. I just made sure that the idea, someone had the idea and was running with it, that they had uh, permission to get it wrong. They had a checklist uh, and that they knew they had my support. That that was my job as the entrepreneur. I want to share some of the this list that I'm looking at, this image of a camel um, with a bunch of words mashed into it it's just so much stuff and it's awesome. And it's just sort of, uh, everyone's different. Everyone's culture is different. Every leader's different of every team. Um, but there might be some stuff in here. People, uh, find interesting. Um, and I'm going to try to stop myself, uh, from talking about each and every one. Cause I do want to get you to, to the airport on time, but, um, I could just have to break that rule right in the first word I see, which is transparency. That is, uh, I know it's the right thing to do and I want to do it. Um, and I know you did it. You talked yeah. already about uh, quite a lot of transparency, but you were even transparent with your books. Yeah. Open book management. I mean, your accounting. Yeah. Yeah. To, to let everyone in on what's going on. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> and the, the, one of the big, the, the quote that I remember most from those who taught it to me was that whatever you think people think about your business financials, they're wrong. I mean, they, whatever you think they think the truth is better than what they think. Yeah. If, if you think, uh, I don't want to show them how much we make. Well, they think you make more than that. Or if you think, I, I don't want to show how much we're losing. Well, they think you're losing more than that. So the the answer is just tell them. Yeah. So then we, then now that we can, all that noise is gone. And we're talking about what is and not what their perception is. And so transparency comes in many forms. It's 
we didn't go as far as to say, here's what everybody's salary is. Of course. Right. We didn't, some people do, we didn't do that, but we went as far as to say, here's, here's our basic profit and loss statement. And we're going to post another one, a new one every month. So you know where we stand as an organization. Um, and transparency was, these are our turnover rates and we're going to post it every month. So you know where we are. This is our morale score. We're going to post it every month. So you know where we are. This is our, um, uh, here's, here's our number of clients. Um, our, in our call center, we posted how many calls we took the, the previous day, week and month and how many complaints we had. Right. And what those complaints were so that we could work on them together. Our best ideas Many of our best ideas came from our frontline team because they knew information that we previously hid from them and they had a suggestion for it. And we were smart enough to say, tell me more. And we listened and then we would develop those suggestions and the solutions that we would have never figured out on our own. One of the best things we did was let operators listen to other operators and tell us what they could do better. Right. That it wasn't a manager or a specialist or a, or a so-called specialist doing it or an expert it was just each other saying, you know, I think I think this is where they really excelled and this is where they really did poor. So all that is part of transparency. And by putting it in our camel culture, by saying we're a transparent company, what that what that did is it allowed us to for for anybody who said you're not be, it allowed us our team to hold us accountable. So if there was a new thing that we hadn't thought about being transparent about, they could say, Hey, I thought we were a transparent company. And we could we we still can say, Well, not with that. Or you're right. We do need to share that. Yeah, if you're saying not with that, you probably have a good business reason for yeah, it. Or, or at least it forces me to it forces me to have a good business reason. Yeah. Because I might say, we're not sharing that. And they say, well, why? And I go, okay, good point. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I, I can be wrong as well. And and I'll I'll throw this in there. Um most of the time we get really frustrated with our team because they don't know something. But the truth is it's because we didn't tell them. Like you think about how many times you said they, they just don't understand how 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 hard it is to make money at this. Oh, it's because we don't tell them. They just don't understand. Fill in the blank. It's because we didn't tell them. It's not because they're we don't hire dumb people. Come on. Yeah, that's true. So that that another reason to put everything you. By the way, everyone does things. They just don't put them in one spot. So transparency. How did that end up in camel culture? Well, you it can end up in your culture too if you want it to be. Yeah. What's the CJ conference? So CJ conferences is, is we would bring our clients in every year to uh, to Nashville, which is a great destination, right? And they would come in and spend three days learning together. Well, when you have to prepare for sixty clients and and their executive teams to come in, you got to get some stuff right, right? You got to. Who's your speaking list? How are you going to, you got to get your stuff together. And so CJ conference, we, it was a, you know, it happened in three days, but we worked on it for six months to get ready for it. Right. The presentations and the pitches and the the recognition, and we'd have a client of the year and we would award them a Nashville guitar and we, everyone would celebrate that client of the year. And, you know, all this stuff happened, but it was a part of who we were. Yeah, that's cool. And that's why it's part of your culture as that's, opposed to just part of your service offering. Yeah, it was part, we're all involved, man. Yeah. We're all involved. Yeah. Someone's making name tags. Someone's helping, you know, securing the hotel. Someone's making sure that, uh, you know, we have entertainment. Like we would bring in crazy entertainment to you know, help yeah. people. Someone's making a reservation. Someone's paying a $25,000 dinner tab at the Palm. You know, it's, it's stuff's going on, man. Yeah. I can see people, um, you know, Jeff Smart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And. 
that's how we, you know, use his best practice for hiring too. We first screen call it on, on values. Yeah. That's sort of the most important thing in, in finding the right people and people either like physically lean in or lean out, you know, yeah. when you're talking about you can that see stuff. It, yeah. yeah. And I can imagine when you take that uh, a step further and talk about the various aspects of your culture, like how, what a big deal this conference is and you're going to be part of it. People are either excited about that or they're not. Yeah. It's better it, they know right away. Every, you know, we walk in our office and you see that we, uh, we are vivid about our culture and we're, we're, we are serious about getting people to grow. And that's step one. What are 15, five reports? So 15, five is a little company, I think based out of Colorado and it was, it's a communication tool. It'll, it allows me to hear in five minutes, uh, it, it takes 15 minutes to complete and five minutes for the team member to complete and five minutes for the manager to read. And it's a way to move information up and down the organization. And it's, it's just the tool we used. And so you had to get used to using it, yeah. right? Well, that Slack is, is a, is a big tool for some or teams, or, uh, there's a bunch of tools out there. That's what we used. And so you can't work in our organization and, and blow that off. It's a part of who we are. Yeah. And camels with cause. That was our charitable uh, outreach, right? We would go, uh, we, our, our BHAG was to give a million dollars to charity over, over the course of like 10 years or, or something. And so we would, whether it's running a 5K in camel costumes or bringing all our families to a, a walkathon or for, you know, a, a park cleanup or it's how we gave back to the community. Yeah. We were camels with a cause. That's cool. And you're big on thank you cards. We talked about that before. Huge on appreciation. Yeah. Uh, it's one thing for me, the boss, to go thank you, the team member. It's even more important for for a team member to go thank their fellow team member. And so we we had an abundance of that going on all over. And the daily huddles, or uh, they work for you? It worked. It worked for us, right? It's it's the it's the it's the twelve minutes in the morning that saves me hours over the course of the day, right? Because I know. If I've got something I need to tell you, I don't need to come interrupt you at two o'clock. I can tell you in the morning at eight thirty-two. Yeah, right. We can. I'll see you. I'll, I'll lay this on you. We can. We can decide if we're going to talk about it or if it's just information you need to know. Yeah, it's also a chance to align the team. This is what's going on today. Here's who's coming in. These are the important calls. Uh, remind people of, of um, the the big uh, the next big thing we got to do that week or that month, and to recognize our rockers. Right. Every day. Every day. Someone rocks, right? Yeah. And that we, we scream it in the room. It goes on the board. It goes on our intranet. We tell our clients about it. We, we try to tell their family that we appreciate them. Like it's a, it's a rhythm of appreciation that's built into our huddle. And how do you do peer recognition? So, so peer, I think you mean like, how do, how do we get peers to recognize peers? Yeah. How does that work? I know you, you told me about envelopes. Yeah. Well, there's, there's two ways. One is we give you a stack of cards that we constantly refill and we say, just give away these cards, you know, hand write a thank you for something they did for you or a client, make sure they know you appreciate it. But then the big, the, 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 we also allow you to nominate folks for a, for a monthly, uh, it's called busting your hump. And then we'll, we'll get like 30 or 40 nominations. Uh, someone, our champion of that program will pick the top 10, uh, at the monthly 30 minute standing, uh, all hands meeting, we will recognize 10 of those people and we do it with envelopes, uh, 10 envelopes, eight have $10 each in them. Uh, one has a 20 and one has a hundred and it's, it's, that's fun, but it's really about, we take the time in that meeting to say why that person was nominated and why they're awesome. And then, and then they pick an envelope and if they're lucky, they get the hundred. Yeah. If they're not, they get, you know, kind of half a lunch that day. 
<laughs> 10 bucks nowadays. I know yeah. it's uh, it's a nice cup of coffee and a yeah. good tip. Um, and but, it was, but there was a, the, my point is there's a rhythm to that. It yeah. happened every month. Yeah. We, I, I, I rail on companies. We didn't use our monthly all hands to tell them things we could have emailed them. We used our monthly all hands to say, to reinforce our BHAG, our, our big rocks, uh, our, um, uh, uh, values and to recognize people. Yeah. Like we did, we did things that we could get excited about. Yeah. And you celebrate, we talked about tenure a lot. You celebrate with gifts, anniversary swag. We do. We, we, you know, it, and, and these are big, uh, 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 milestones, if you will, at five years, you get a letterman's jacket like you would in high school. And it represents that you've been with us for 10,000 hours and that everyone that's, that's not reached that point yet is looking to you as a leader in the organization. And so when you put on a letterman's jacket, that's, that's sort of got our, our, uh, brand on it, then now you're, you're a lettered camel man, right? Yeah, yeah. And so act that way, yeah. right? People are looking to you. And then at 10 years, you get a Rolex. Uh, it's a, it's, it, that's the, I say that. And some listeners may say, what's a, what, when he, what's a Rolex, right? I want an Apple watch. Well, we, a Rolex is the most classic of watches that you can give and it's very valued and you don't throw it away. Uh, and then, and then that became, uh, a different kind of like one, one of our team members, Rachel, uh, she grew up playing the piano on a baby grand and she wanted her kids to, she had kids now and she wanted them to learn. So we bought Rachel a baby grand piano for her 10 year anniversary. We bought another, uh, client, our team member, um, uh, it's antique jewelry that was very important to them. And the, the, they had some jewelry from their, uh, that they had uh, gotten from their parents and they wanted to add to it. And so we start giving people things that mean a lot to them but also something that doesn't go away. And then at 15 years, you get a trip of a lifetime with, with you and the people you love uh, for an experience you'll never forget. Now, each of those are unique uh, gifts and they were important, but more importantly was the recognition of that tenure. No one stayed with me for 10 years to get a Rolex, but when I, re when I honored people with a Rolex after 10 years and let them bathe in that honor, it was a benefit to everyone right? That they knew I respected them to that level, that, that their, their time, their commitment, their expertise, their humanity. That's what the recognition was about. The gift was just a symbol of it. Yeah. Something that I've talked about in our, in our leadership team, that's just a terrifying idea. Another one, uh, unrestricted paid time off. Yeah. Yeah. It should, it should be illegal because, um, what we found is when we, when we finally said, enough is enough. We're tired of keeping up with what days you're here and what days you're not, or when you're working and when you're not, and when you're sick and when you're on vacation. I mean, with 225 people, it just was a nightmare of administrative headache. And we finally got the courage to say, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to hold you accountable for the work. And when you work is up to you. Uh, now that means, that means do your work and be a good teammate. I, I sometimes I forget to say that, like you can't do the work when you want at and ignore when your team needs it. Right. So you got to do the work and be a great teammate, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to stop keeping up with when you're here and you're not. And what we found people took way less time when I stopped counting it. Right. So we have less administrative hassle. People took way less time and they felt more accountable to their teams. I, I don't know how I'm losing that deal. Yeah. So we, we, we easily, we, we, we couldn't believe we didn't do it sooner. I think you need good KPIs in place to well, not just so people feel the freedom. They know their work is done. It's, it's sort of otherwise measurable. they, well, cause the, the downside of, of unrestricted PTO is they over, you burn them out. 
Yeah. They don't know when to stop. Yeah. They just keep mowing and mowing and mowing until they legs, their legs don't work anymore. Proverbially, obviously, I mean, but yeah, you know, they don't So you, if you don't, if the individual doesn't understand what success in their job looks like, right. Yeah, then exactly. they don't know when to stop. And they, and they also don't know that they haven't got there yet. So you, th- these are you like, if you're listening to this and you go, okay, great, we're going to do unrestricted PTO. You can't, you get to do the layers. If people don't know what success looks like, then you better have them come clock, clock in. Yeah. Because they don't know what else to do. Totally. Peer performance reviews. How do you do that? Well, we just, you know, if I, if I'm the leader of your group and I have an opinion of how you performed and you have an opinion of how you perform, but what do your peers think? Right. What, did, what, did, how would they, how would they say you performed in your job? And so we, we had a system to make sure we took that into account that we didn't let my bias as your manager or your bias as the team member be a full reflection of, of how you did. Yeah. We wanted to hear from your people. And then and then allowing people to weigh in on their peers did two things. One, it made them feel heard, that at least they're asking me. And then they also had to take that into consideration when it was their time for their review, that their it, their peers mattered as much as their boss did. Yeah. And so it was a big part of, of how we treated each other. Yeah. 10 a.m. meetings. Uh, so, so, uh, there's one of the, if I had to name, I mean, I've read literally 275 books, right. And, and I'm, and I add about a book a month or so, but there's like four or five that really made a difference in, in who I am and how we ran our company and, um, death by meeting by, by Patrick Lencioni is one of my favorites. And, and through that book, I learned that you can't go into a meeting with five things to solve. You go into, a, we went to meetings with one thing to solve. And that's the only thing we're going to talk about in this meeting. If we're done in 15 minutes, we're done in 15 minutes. If it takes us 45 minutes, it takes us 45 minutes. But I'm not going to walk in with even three things and spend 30 minutes on the first thing, 20 minutes on the second thing, and then five minutes on the last thing, which is probably the most important. And so our 10 a.m. meeting was, 10 a.m. meeting every day was reserved for the most important topic. And that's the one thing we were going to do. And people would come and say, well, we got to talk about this, this, and this. I'm like, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Today, we're talking about this, right? And so it was a discipline to solve our most urgent problem first and not get caught up in this everything's urgent issue. And so the 10 a.m. meeting was a time that you, everyone reserved on their calendar, every everybody on the executive team reserved. And sometimes I didn't need everybody and you got that time back. But, but when I needed you, you were there and we had the meeting. There's so much there. I could talk, I could talk to you about this all day long. <laughs> like I do, I do not tire of this stuff. I love it. It's because I want it. I want it all. I want to make a list of everything we're doing. So, so I can appreciate it and yeah. everyone knows it and then getting organized that way is like a, a good first step. Yeah. And then I want to do more and more and more because we're in the people business. People are the, the, are, we're in the, in every possible way in the people business, we yeah. compete with uh, our competitors for the best talent uh, with every other industry and business looking to hire great people. Oh yeah. Um, and our, our work product is, is sort of strategy and organization of the campaigns that we're running for these, these condo projects mostly. Um, but we are out of time. Anyone else that wants to know more has got to read the book. So yeah. uh, tell people where to find it. Yeah. Worth doing wrong. Uh, Amazon.com. Obviously they sell all the books. It seems like to everyone. And um uh, it's on audible. Uh, if you want to, if you're, if you love my voice, you can hear more of it. I would, I would recommend listening to me at 1.2. I have a little more energy. <laughs> um, uh, I, if look, I've said this over and over my, I'm the, e, I, I'm easily Googleable. You can find me. I'm on LinkedIn. 
my mobile number is, is out there. My email's out there. I'll respond. Like I am passionate about Better Book Club. I'm passionate about helping people be better leaders and grow. I'm passionate about sharing what took me years to uh, learn and, and grow with. Um, yeah, I want to be relevant. And so do me the favor of contacting me and let me feel relevant. To you. <laughs> uh, if cool. I can help in any way, I'm happy to share it our dumbest ideas that didn't work and our best ideas that I would totally recommend over and over again. And you would come, you travel to go to somebody's company and speak to the, their leadership team or their whole company. Or? Uh, we will talk about it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what I can do from uh, for free. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what we can free. do. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm happy to contribute uh, yeah. and to help and help people get over some of those fears of, of things that sound too crazy to do. Uh, and we'll start small yeah. uh, and we'll get you there and, uh, you know, cheer for your people, put books in their brains so that they can grow along with you. Think about the number of books you read and maybe you say, well, I'm not a reader, but if you're a reader, think about the number of books you read and think about the average number of books your team reads. Now there's probably going to be a gap. You're going to say, I read 10 books a year and on average, my team reads two books a year. And think about how that gap over five years gets bigger and bigger and bigger and where you end up with your knowledge and understanding of the world and where they end up. Better Book Club can help shrink that gap so that your team is rolling along with you and not so far behind you. And so I'm pushing a little bit on Better Book Club because I, I know it's, the, it's easy. Like you push the buttons and it just works. That's number one. Hit me if I can help you in any way. Uh, read the book, listen to the book, uh, and cheer for your people. Betterbookclub.com. Yeah. Find. Yeah. I'm in. All right. Let me take you to the airport. Let's go. Let's go.